Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening, everybody. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. My name is Big Rev, or Joel, and we're in Masterclass Theology. We are fighting the air conditioning noise in here. And when it, when it clicks off, we will be able to uh, tone down the noise a bit. I want to say hi to Zoom. How's it going? Hi to in-person. Also, hi to those who are listening in podcast land. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2, like I said. And tonight, we've got a just, it's an interesting text because Peter just gets right at it. Ah, there you go. Peter gets right at things. And things that just cut to the heart immediately. And then he gets pretty philosophical, and he kind of paints a picture, he paints this metaphor that is kind of cool. It's a really cool metaphor. It's a metaphor from the Old Testament, but it's really cool how it plays out. So let's open with the word of prayer, and then we will sally forth. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this opportunity to study it and to be challenged and encouraged. It is an honor to study your word and to do so uh, this evening. I thank you for all the people joining us and uh, participating in this adventure here in 1 Peter. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you're looking at, at the sheet here on the screen. You're going, oh, no, the first point of the outline is just one verse. How are we ever going to get through this? So this first idea comes from verse 1. Rid, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I'm going to pause there. Look at that list. It almost sounds like a really cheesy Star Wars villain or something. Really? Malice? Deceit? Should these be things we ever have in us? So he's telling these people in, in these churches, these are things you've got to get rid of. I don't know if you've ever cleaned out a room or cleaned out a junk drawer or cleaned out a garage or cleaned out your car, all those wrappers in there. Um, yeah. I think I have record of every single Happy Meal my kids have ever eaten on the road with me. Somewhere in the, in the back seats. I'm just bringing out this horrible, like, what is this and what is that? Yeah, rid. Sometimes in life, it's really good to take stock of what's going on. Maybe what you have, what you've accumulated. But there just comes time to rid. And here, these read like a laundry list of horrible character traits. And they're all relationship things. If, you, if there is malice in a relationship, that's probably not a healthy relationship. In fact, you can delete the word probably from that sentence. If there's deceit, this, malice is like, how would I describe malice? Malice would be like uh, actively wishing harm upon somebody or actively wishing someone to really go through hard times, or it has something about it that is just derogatory and damaging and, and condemning. About if that's in a friendship, that's not really a friendship. If malice is there, and oh gosh, if it's in a marriage, forget about it. Deceit is lies. Hypocrisy, we know what hypocrisy is. You claim one thing and do another. Envy, ooh, envy. Slander. So, He's telling these people, these are things, can we say it? They're in their relationships. 
because he's telling them, get rid of them? I mean, that's pretty hardcore, like straight-up counseling in your face. Get rid of those things. Rid yourselves of these things. Jesus expects you, and you're going to see that all the way through this tonight. Sentences that start with Jesus expects you. Jesus expects you to be different. So, if you are in the first century world that would have been receiving this letter, you might have Roman Empire friends and neighbors that treat you badly. There may be malice and envy and deceit. There may be all these things in your relationship, and some of them may be coming from you. But we learn, Paul tells us in Romans 12, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everybody. So he's telling these people, hey, as far as it depends upon you, Rid yourselves of these things. Jesus expects you to be different. That idea is the basis of the holy. We just got done hearing, be holy as I am holy from last week. God expects you to be different as he is different. We learned that in the book of Exodus. How Israel's God, Yahweh, was superior to all the other gods. And he won. We learned this again on Mount Carmel where Yahweh, again, is superior to all the Baals and Ashtoreths and all that kind of stuff. Be different. So, here's the question I have for you. If you're a note-taker on your page, answer this question to yourself. What about you needs to stop? If Peter can tell these people to rid themselves of these things, what about you needs to stop? You know it's there. You may feel shame or guilt over it. It might be the subject of every prayer time you're in, every time you come to church and you're quiet and and, and, and it's on your heart. What about you needs to stop? Because maybe something about you is not stopping and you're just like everybody else. And you belong to Jesus. What about you needs to stop? That's rid. Next is Crave, two to three. Today is National Coffee Day. I have given up sleep for a cup of coffee. Knowing that I have a cup of coffee waiting for me in the morning, I will wake up earlier. Does that make no sense? Yes, that makes no sense. I will get up, I will, I will stop hitting my snooze bar just, to, just because I'm going to put a pot in my Keurig machine or I'm going to put a pot on for coffee to brew. I'll get through my day with that pot. of. So I, I understand cravings, okay? So he's saying rid these things, but now crave, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Nothing replaces what a baby needs most. And every... I've got two young kids, and, and, and my wife has, has supervised the feeding and care of those kids, especially when they were babies. I'll, I'll phrase it like that. But we hear these stories of these advertisements about, you know, the, 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 the baby formula commercials, when they say, yeah, nothing replaces mother's milk, but we're going to give you the next best thing. Now apply theology to that statement. He's telling them, eat what you need to eat. Like a baby eats what a baby's supposed to eat. What are you craving? Are you craving things that make you feel better about yourself? 
Are you craving things that make you feel better about your situation in life? Are you craving, craving, craving? Are you craving things that just tickle you, that just kind of, oh, isn't that sweet? Or, boy, that was wonderful. And they don't ever challenge you. If God's word just exists to make you feel better, I don't think you're really understanding God's word. God's word is not an episode of Oprah. God's word convicts. Jesus expects you to pursue growth. If you're still struggling with the same sin you struggled with 20 years ago, pay attention to that. If you still have the same hurt, habit, or hang-up, and nothing has changed at all, pay attention to that. If you're still growing in that same bitter spirit, if you still have the same anger, the same fear, if you haven't grown as a Christian, then what's going on? Jesus expects you to grow. So, or at least to pursue growth. We understand theologically that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us, who makes us more like Jesus. But on our end, are we pursuing that? So I asked you in the first part, what about you needs to stop? What about you now needs to start? Yeah, this is kind of playing out like a counseling session. Oh, well. What about you needs to be knocked off? It needs to be done. What about you needs to be crispy critters? There you go, I've said it. What about you needs to stop and be done? And it should have been done a while back. But what about you needs to start? What good practices can start? What about you can be starting? Think about that. Try to think about that biblically. The things you get convicted on, those probably need to stop. But there's all kinds of things you can get convicted on too that need to start. I can't answer those questions for you. But something kicked you in the rear when I asked those questions. Write that down. Verse 4, a living stone. As you come to him, the living stone, capital S here, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Okay, pause. Chosen and precious. You see, one of the mysteries of the gospel is the religious elite the religious elite, the ones who claim to be close to God, so when God's guy shows up on the scene and fulfills all the prophecies that they pretended or prepared to care about, and God's guy shows up, what do they do? <coughs> they reject. You see, the great irony of the Gospels is that Jesus was rejected by the ones who should have accepted him. It would be like an auto mechanic missing an oil change. I mean, what is your deal? This is what you do. You let your car go how many miles? Jesus was rejected by the ones who should have accepted him, and he was accepted by the ones who were willing to be rejected for accepting him. I mean, think about that. The ones who were willing to accept Jesus, like the recipients of this letter of 1 Peter, were facing being rejected. The Roman Empire. You either worship their pantheon, and their pantheon included Caesar, or they considered you apostate. They considered you a pagan. They considered you like an atheist, because you don't worship the right way. These people claim Jesus, even if it costs them, 
He was rejected by the ones who should have accepted him. He was accepted by the ones who were willing to be rejected. He's chosen, precious to God. Jesus expects you to trust in him. And we all know the story of the great blondine, don't we? The great blondine, or you can call him the great blondini if you're of that bent. Turn of the century, in the 19th century, as it were, and there was nothing, people had nothing to do, so they, they strung a great cable across Niagara Falls. And they had people trying to cross that cable from one side to the other, and the great blondine had this, uh, he could cross back and forth all day long, all day long, all day long. He even got to the point where he could push a wheelbarrow across the falls, and he had to keep upping the ante because people just kept, they kept wanting more. Maybe there was a still, a, maybe not quite a soundbite generation back then, but they always wanted more. So his, one of his greatest feats we hear is that he pushed a camping stove across the falls and stopped right in the middle of the falls. He then turned on the camping stove, you know, the little thing you, you crank, 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 and it turns on. And then he proceeded to cook an omelet in the middle of the falls, eat the omelet, and then go back again. That was his greatest feat. All on a little tiny, little tightrope. Okay. So he, he eventually upped the ante one more time. He involved a wheelbarrow. And he would go to the American side of the falls and, and he'd have the wheelbarrow there. And there was a special wheelbarrow that could go on, on, the, on, the, on the, the tightrope. And he would ask, who believes I could take you across these falls safely? There and back again. Oh, great blondine. Oh, they, just, they would fall over themselves to agree. Oh, of course, you're the greatest. There's nobody like you. And they just, they're just tripping over themselves to agree. Day in and day out. And so finally, he found one boisterous fellow, as the story goes, in the front row. Do you, sir? Do you, sir, believe I could take you safely across the falls and back? Oh, great blondine. There's no one like you. If anyone could, you could. Thank you, sir. Now, would you please hop in? <laughs> That's trust. Are you hopping into God's wheelbarrow? Jesus expects you to trust him. That's what faith is. Well, I have faith in God, but I don't trust in God. Wrong. That's a non sequitur. It's the same word, essentially. It's a cousin word. To believe is to have trust. To have trust is to believe. Do you trust in Jesus? So you've asked some questions today. What about you need to stop? What about you need to start? Do you, do you actually trust him? Verse 5, the spiritual house. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Your spiritual house. All of a sudden, your mundane life isn't mundane anymore, is it? But you see, you already knew about this. Because in Romans 12, Paul's already said something like, you are a living sacrifice. You already knew. It's kind of like, um, oh, this is going to be cheesy, but we see this a lot because it's my, my wife's favorite. She loves Beauty and the Beast. Belle says, I want much more than this provincial life. She wants more than what she has. She's looking for something. We get the same idea with Luke Skywalker staring out at the suns, dreaming of an adventure in the stars. Is this life all there is? What do I do? Well, guess what? When you belong to Christ, he's making something of you. 
You're being built into a, a, a spiritual house, a royal priesthood. It doesn't matter what tribe you're from. Only the Levites could be priests. Here, God's bringing you in on his story. A royal priesthood. Wow. It's like you're being a part of what the great king is doing. There's something about your story that's going to be used for God's glory. That would have meant a lot to those people. That means a lot to me. To know that God can use your story for his glory. You may not think much about your story. But I'm glad that I'm not the one doing the planning, am I? Jesus expects you to offer acceptable sacrifices. What? Yeah. A holy priesthood offering <coughs> spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What kind, of, what kind of acceptable sacrifices could you make? Okay, I'll give you a few. Love your enemy. Is there anybody on this earth that you are allowed to hate biblically? No. But don't you know they're my enemy? Don't you know how they treat me? Don't you know how they treat my family? Don't you know what they say about me? Don't you know how they treat me on, inst on, on social media? Don't you know what they say, what they do, how they bullied me? Don't you know all these things? Don't you know what they do to your kids? Don't you know? Okay, would you say they're your enemy? You're darn right I would. What does Jesus say about that? I mean, if Jesus can tell, can ask the Father to forgive the guys who are hammering spikes into his flesh, Father, forgive them. Love your enemy. That would be a great spiritual sacrifice right there. Okay. Nobody wants to do that, by the way. It doesn't come natural. It is the most countercultural thing you can ever do, is to love your enemy. What about loving your neighbor? Loving your enemy, by the way, you're, you're active. What, is, what does the scripture say? Love your enemies, bless those who, who hurt you or persecute you. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Seek the good for them. It's like you're not just saying, okay, I'm just going to casually pray for the one who treated me badly. But you're actually going to pray that God blesses them. What a humble prayer. How about loving your neighbor as yourself? You see, God uniquely places neighbors in your life. They, have, they are the ones that have the ability to tick you off the most. Your neighbors have the ability to get, on, to get under every fingernail because they're right there. God places people in your life. He expects you to love them. What about being a living sacrifice? The problem is, it's an old line, the problem with living sacrifice is that we want to crawl off the altar. Because they're alive, you see. What about you need to stop? What about you need to start? Whom do you need to show biblical love for? It's kind of a kid's thing, J-O-Y. It's a perspective and a priorities list. The song is like, Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. That's your day. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. That's a great perspective. That would be, if you're living that, 
you're a much better husband. I mean, think about it. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus first, yourself last, and your spouse next. In the middle. If you're living that way, you're living sacrificially. You see, when, 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 when Jesus is expecting you to offer acceptable sacrifices, just go back to what he had said. Love the Lord your God and love others. Love your neighbor. Start there. Who are you not loving the way Jesus expects you to love? Start there. Start with your enemy, then your neighbor. If you're in a marriage, you're in a relationship, go there as well. Not all of us have that, but we all have enemies. And those of us who don't have enemies, you have neighbors. You have neighbors at work, you have neighbors at school, you have neighbors on your block, you have people who are on your social media, what have you. So there's a metaphor that's going to unfold here, six to eight. For in Scripture it says he's going to be in Isaiah 28, he's going to be in Psalm 118, he's going to be in Isaiah 8. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. So if you were wondering where Peter got that chosen and precious earlier, that's where he got it. And the one who trusts in him would never be put to shame. I don't know about you. I don't know about your story. Have you ever felt shame for trusting in Jesus? Maybe people work you over about that. Like, what do you mean? Come on. Life is all about you. The church just wants something from you. This Jesus, eh, whatever. You know, I can't believe you have faith. Come on. Especially now. Where is God in the world of COVID-19? I mean, come on. You might hear things. You might be confronted with things. You might be cause. People might inter introduce themselves in your life with certain words or phrases to hurt you. The one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. What's another side of that? That if I actually trust that my sins are forgiven, when that role is called up yonder and I am there, my sins are forgiven. That when I trust in Jesus to bear my sin, my shame on his cross in my place, that that actually is reality. And I won't be put to shame in the last days. As these people are going through persecution and rejection and hardship and trials, the very Jesus they trust in, who they put their hope in, who they base their faith on, he's not going to let them down. Mm. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We picture, I do this occasionally, my kids used to like rocks. And they'd find you know, big enough rocks so that if my lawnmower got a hold of them, it would send them flying. And then I'm having to have conversations because I broke something. They like to have rocks and play with rocks and make little rock pets or whatever they do. I don't know. But I'd be finding these rocks in my yard. Always in the high grass too, so I'd always miss it. I had to go through the lawn and find these rocks and pick them up and toss them where they belong. That's the image we have here. And these people are like, okay, they're looking for rocks to build something and, 
you know, in, in an agrarian society where they use rocks and stones to build things, like a Hadrian's Wall kind of thing. So they're going around looking for rocks, and okay, I, I see, oh, that one's not worth anything. Just toss it aside. And oh, see, see the, the builders would reject stones. They would get a hold of stones and go, nah, this ain't worth anything. Go, get over there. They toss it aside. And that verse says, the stone the builders rejected, remember Jesus kept being rejected in the Gospels, and Peter's applying this to Jesus. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Oh, snap. That stone? Oh. Why'd you reject that? that that's, look at look kind of building that is now made. Because they used that as the cornerstone. Wow. And a stone that causes them to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is, all, which is also what they were destined for. Okay, so there's predestination again. For some of you, you're like, oh, great. Others of you, you're like, yes, thank you. Because God, that means God actually chose me. I don't have to depend upon my own wit. I don't have to depend upon my choice. God's choice. The trick is, though, we don't know who God's chosen. So we keep preaching the gospel. We keep sharing the good news. Because we don't know who God's chosen, who God has not chosen. We don't know that. So we stay faithful. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. A spiritual house. The metaphor unfolds. So Jesus is either the rock you build your life upon, or if you were a construction person, I guess using a cornerstone, the rock in which you orient the building around. He's either that, spoiler alert, B number one. Jesus is either that, or he's the rock you trip over disastrously. That rock's in the field, y'all. That rock is either going to be chosen and be the rock, the cornerstone that's going to build, you're going to build your life around that. Jesus talked about that. The, the, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon sand. Yeah. Jesus is either the rock, is his, his teachings, the, the truth of God's word expounded by Jesus. It's like you are either building your life upon the rock of Christ Jesus or you're going about it your own way. Then, oops, you tripped. And who'd you trip over? Jesus. Because you're not getting around him. John 14, 6 doesn't stop being John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. So either you're accepting him and you're going to the Father, or you're not, and you're tripping over that. That's the idea of this verse here. So, Jesus expects you to believe and obey. You might think this is HBO. Hear the word of the Lord, believe the word of the Lord, obey the word of the Lord. There it is. Kind of cheesy, but oh well. You probably won't forget it. God's special possession, 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Could you imagine the number of black eyes, bloody noses, hurt people, persecuted, martyred? I mean, read that part of Hebrews where it talks about the faithful being like, they were persecuted, sawn in two, rejected. I mean, my goodness, could you imagine the persecution? And then to hear these words, you are God's special possession. Think about your special possession. Maybe you have it in your house. 
Maybe you have it in your safety deposit box. Maybe you have it somewhere in a drawer. Maybe it's on a shelf. Maybe it's got the, the place of honor in your living room where you see it, your special possession. It has a purpose. It has an identity. It is precious to you. Your identity and purpose is found in God. You are His special possession. Chosen. If you're depressed like I am depressed, if you struggle with your purpose sometimes, if you feel rotten sometimes, you feel hurt, you feel ignored, you feel overlooked, you, all the, whatever you feel, you, you sometimes hate yourself. I'm not saying this is good, I'm just saying you might feel these things. You go through all these emotional roller coasters and this life seems to hurt and hurt and it just keeps heaping upon you and heaping upon you. Or maybe you have anxiety, you can't get to sleep tonight because you're pondering things from 40 years ago. You can't stop thinking about this or worrying about that or everything has to be perfect and you have and other people's opinion of you has to be a certain thing and you work so hard to craft that and to maintain that and that is your inner narrative and world and you're going through all these things to hear that you belong to God that he chose you that you are his special possession that he is your identity, your life's purpose is found in Him? Mic drop. That's fortune cookie man sitting on the side of a mountain, meaning of life material right there. Boom! You are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now your purpose, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, so we got a before and after here. He's going to go, you were called out of darkness, now you're in the light. Check out this before and after. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Dang. Wow. You have identity in Jesus. You have purpose in Jesus. Jesus expects you to understand your before and your after. Before I asked you, what about you need to stop? What about you need to start? Now I want you to think about this way. There's an old you. Think about that old you. I'm not talking about your age. Take the word old, old and make it former. The old you. The you before Jesus. What kind of person were you? To what drumbeat did you march? By what were your standards? Were you a jerk? Did you treat people the way they should be treated? What about you should never be you again? I have that story. Do you? And when the old you creeps up again, what do you do? See, now, now there's a new you in Christ. What characterizes that new you? You don't do those old things. You know, behold, being in Christ is being a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Or Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. The life I live in the body is not my own, but Him living through me, paraphrase mine towards the end. What is it about you? You now know what needs to stop. 
You know what needs to start. You know what you need to be rid of. You know you, what you need to crave, like that suckling newborn, trying to get as much nourishment as possible to grow. Acceptable sacrifices, trusting and obeying God. Jesus expects you to understand your before and after. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What of those fruit is not on your tree? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The branches of a tree that is your life, what of those fruits is not on your tree? You now know how you should pray for yourself. God, please grow that fruit in my life. If you're in that passage of Galatians, a few verses prior, there's some other fruits. They just may be on your tree, and they shouldn't be. You now know how you need to pray again. This time, how you should repent. For most of my life, it was a fruit of self-control. That was not on my tree. I have an example to close with. How would you have sound, how, how would all this have sounded to them? This would have rocked their world, by the way. As they go through what they went through to know that God actually chose them. He has a plan for them still. They are loved by God. Even as the whips go across their back, even as they can't buy and sell, even as they can't do any of the things that they're supposed to be doing, even as Caesar seems to reign supreme and his mandates seem to reign supreme, that seems to work almost in any era. There's always a Caesar. He always has mandates, and he never likes Jesus and those who belong to Jesus. So how do you respond to all this? Today is National Coffee Day. How did I have National Coffee Day start? I woke up. I got a cup of coffee. I do a morning devotional on Facebook. I do that. That's my personal Discipline. I get up, I, 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 I follow a reading plan, the Bridge Community Church reading plan. I find out what passage we're going to be in. I read it, a verse grabs in my mind, and I just kind of blog about it. That's what I do every day. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that's my routine. That's my discipline. I do it for me. Some people like reading it. Others like whatever, but that's fine. That's your business. I do it for me. I get my cup of coffee, and I go to the couch. This morning, I grabbed a Pop-Tart. Don't judge me. It was that kind of a morning. All right, I got my Pop-Tart, I got my coffee, it was a blueberry Pop-Tart, it was going to be great, okay, a blueberry Pop-Tart, I had my cup of coffee, I'm ready to go, I wasn't paying attention. One step away from the couch where I'm going to go, something was on the floor I didn't see because I was carrying things, I was focusing on that, I tripped. I fell the weirdest way possible, I fell arms first, straight ahead, my coffee in one of those hands onto the couch. So I proceeded to get the backsplash for my own cup of coffee all over my hand, all over my face, in an eyeball. And I'm just, I'm just progressively going, and it kept getting louder and louder. And my family, who's now starting to wake up, because I wake up early and no one else is awake and do my thing. And, and they're progressively just getting, what is going on? Now the thing I tripped over, my son had left on the floor. The old Joel would have turned from Bruce Banner to Incredible Hulk. Okay? 
I would have called my son in there, I'd have given him what for, and then later on that morning I would have had to say, you know, I'm the daddy was shouldn't have been a monster. Daddy was wrong to yell at you. I'm sorry to start your day that way. You gotta go to school, you didn't have to deal with this. Uh, you didn't know I was going to trip. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. These are all good things, but I'm tired of saying those things because I'm always saying something stupid and I'm reacting that way. So, what did I do this morning? Everyone heard I was upset. Okay? Everyone could hear I was progressively in pain. They're like, what's wrong with you? It just, it burns and it keeps burning and it just keeps burning and I'm going to the sink, taking the coldest water I can and putting it on my face, all over my hand. That was my national coffee day. But when I sent my son to school today, I said this. Son, something was different about today. I didn't yell at you like I normally yell at you. There's things daddy has to work on. Today was a good work day for daddy. So I didn't need to ask my son's forgiveness because I yelled at him in anger or I called him a name, or said he was, you know, incompetent, or some nonsense, or something I might have done in the previous iteration of me. I could just go to him and say, Joshua, you know, you had to hear all that, but that's just because I was in pain. I wasn't directing it at you. And I got to mean that from my heart. And see, that meant something to me, because that means that the old Joel, the former Joel, didn't creep up to the present Joel. I rid myself of what needed to be rid in that, ridden in that moment. What was more important? What did I crave in that moment? Not to ruin my son's morning because of me being a klutz. And truth be told, I should have drunk my coffee at the table or something. My routine didn't matter as much. My son did and does. I'm not the hero of that story, but... I feel kind of proud. I'm not just that old beast of a daddy sometimes. God's at work in me, and I can witness him at work. What about you needs to stop? What about you needs to start? What are the acceptable sacrifices that can be part of your day? What's the old you, the new you? This has been... Big riff for Masterclass Theology from 1 Peter chapter 2. Thanks for letting me share. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.